Welcome to Tiber's Watchcast, an audio companion to the Substack movie newsletter Tiber's Watchlist at tiberswatchlist.substack.com. I'm a film critic and author with four decades of experience, and the Watchcast is an excuse to invite friends and colleagues over to talk about movies and genres and TV shows and music and weird pop culture stuff. Hello, gorgeous. <laughs> now, if you recognize that line of dialogue, then you probably have seen the 1968 Barbara Streisand movie Funny Girl. And if you have seen the 1968 Barbara Streisand movie Funny Girl, once you've probably seen it. Uh, well, Janice, how many times have you seen Funny Girl? Dozens and dozens. Let's just say 50-ish. <laughs> when? How? Yeah, no, I'm a child of, of the 60s and 70s mm. and... Uh, you know, uh, stumbled across it on television a lot of times mm. and stopped every time that I did. Something in it really spoke to me. So, you know, I, in the theater, maybe a couple of times, uh -huh. but, but certainly on television a lot. My guest today is Janice Page, the arts editor at The Washington Post, my former uh, editor at The Boston Globe, a great film critic herself, and an old dear friend. When we started talking about maybe doing a podcast on Funny Girl, I had to confess that I had never seen it once. And you were a bit shocked by that. And when I mentioned it to my wife, who's... Yes, I'm not easily shocked, <laughs> but I was shocked by that. And uh, when I mentioned it to my wife, who's the same generation as you, roughly the same age, her hair just about stood on end. She's like, what? You haven't <laughs> seen Funny Girl? And I hadn't. Uh, I've seen it now. Uh, and it made, me, it made me wonder. I, I had to stop and sort of think, why hadn't I seen Funny Girl? Why hadn't I seen, and this is a movie that came up when our, uh, my wife and my uh, daughters were little, I hadn't seen Sound of Music. Why hadn't I these seen are, Sound of Music? Everybody's seen Sound of Music. big gaping gaps in your, well, mu in your movie history. Because I, you know, nobody necessarily back then took a young boy to go see Funny Girl in yes. 1968 or a young boy to go see Sound of Music. Maybe if the whole family went and maybe my sisters went, right. but I wasn't taken and I didn't catch up with it in years later and I didn't rush out and get the VHS when the tapes were around and I just right. you know I was busy watching Herzog movies yeah and, you sure know. I'm, I'm guessing there's a whole other podcast in genres of movie that movies that Ty never saw like yeah, I'm guessing yeah. you probably didn't see like Where the Boys Are and things like that yeah. I did not see Where the Boys Are <laughs> um, another one that my wife is like her favorite movie she says you know it's, it's when she thinks of summer movies this is what she thinks of Bye Bye Birdie Absolutely. Okay. Sure. I did not watch that until I started dating my wife. Okay. Well, there and, you go. you know, now can sing chapter and verse. Yeah, I mean, there are gaps. And in fact, I know critics who have written articles about the movies they haven't seen. One critic uh, that we know um, who admitted to have never seen The Godfather, which <laughs> I just would never admit to in print. I'd go out and see it. Sure. That seems to me like... Leading yes. with your I know another critic who mouth. I just had a conversation with, um, who shall remain nameless, mm -hmm. who had not seen Top Gun. Really? Yeah, had not seen Top Gun. No, just just had gone past okay. by the boards and never revisited it until Maverick came. But up. they did. They yes, did, of they course. Did before right. seeing, before reviewing Maverick, mm -hmm. they saw it. So, well, let's talk about Funny Girl. So I did. Not only did I watch it at last, I watched it with my wife and her parents down in Florida. Right. You know, with her dad who's you went, 91 went, yeah, and, you just went and her for mom it. who's, you know, I guess 86. <laughs> exactly. No, I had the full sure. the full Barbara Streisand uh, experience. And let me just add that my wife's parents adore Barbara Streisand. As, you know, yeah. I was surprised how sharp it was. Yeah. And how funny she, she it holds was. holds up. 
she holds up. She and, holds and up. Some, and many of the other people in it hold Correct. up. Correct. And certainly the music and all Correct. that. Um, I, the, the last act goes sure, on sure, way absolutely. too long for me, you know, absolutely. and it turns into, you know, can't help loving Dat Man. No, it, it's definitely, it's a star is born by yeah. the end. And Nicky Arnstein was, if you look him up, he was, he was a bad dude. Sure. Uh, you know, he, had, he, he went to jail before yeah. he went, goes to jail in the movie. Yeah. And it yeah. is unclear to me in real life if she was, if he was after her you know, fame and money and all that stuff or not. Well, it sounds but, like she she chased after him more than he chased after maybe, her. Maybe, yeah. That's yeah. at least the way it's told. Right. True. <laughs> Who true. knows? But he hung around with Arnold Rothstein. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was yeah. a bad dude. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, it's the movies. Although the one movie I can think of that doesn't really sugarcoat that, um, Love Me or Leave Me. You ever seen oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Doris Day. Oh, sure. As yeah. Ruth Edding and... Um, James Cagney as Marty the Gimp Snyder. Yeah. And that is, boy, is that a toxic relationship. <laughs> Jesus. There's a lot of Cagney movies with toxic relationships, yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah, well, he wasn't afraid of portraying No, that. he wasn't. In those, in those days, you could. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, with Funny Girl, you've got, well, Omar Sharif. Yeah. And let me guess, you were in love with Omar Sharif back then as well. well come on. Come on. Of course I was. <laughs> I mean, I can still, Nicky Arnstein <laughs> in my head every mm -hmm. time. Uh, no, he was... He didn't even need the ruffle shirt. He was, he was, yeah, he was perfectly cast. <laughs> right. And for that matter, so is like, you know, Kay Medford as, <laughs> as Rose, the mom. Right. My God, is she perfect for that part. Right. So there's just a lot about that that is just right. And it's weird because Omar is not a singer, but he didn't have to be in that movie. He's no, just um, eye he's, candy. He's definitely not a singer in the scenes where he has to sing. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But the movie's... As it should be, at least in my opinion, all about her. And you cannot take your eyes off of her and you do not. She enters that movie and she never lets it go. No. Never lets it no. go. Two uh, hands the whole way through. Arguably in the last act where it becomes more about his problems. Sure. That's the script, though, more right. than her. Correct. And she reclaims it with the song at the end anyway. But um, Before we talk about Barbara Streisand, I do want to have you consider the people that were considered for the role of Nicky Arnstein before Omar Sharif was cast. And just imagine the movie with Cary Grant. Ooh. Well, yeah. I, can, I can see that. Yes. Marlon Brando? No, I can't no. see that. Sean Connery? Very different. Very different. Yeah. None of these people have the exotic quality. Correct. Or the, I would argue, the gentleness he has. Sure, exactly. James Garner? No. And David Jansen of the Fugitive. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, no. Omar Sharif was cast, and then they almost bagged him because the Six Day War came out, erupted oh. during filming. Oh, I didn't know this. And he's Egyptian. Yes, yeah, I did not know and, this. So yeah, they were worried about the they carryover. They were going to replace oh, him. That's and Hollywood. the director, William Wyler and Streisand, went to bat for him and said, no, 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 nice. no, that's not happening. Well, they were right. And then... Apparently, the Egyptian government threatened to revoke Sharif's uh, citizenship because he's in a romantic relationship on screen with a Jewish girl. Right. And so the Egyptians were quite upset about that. And Streisand's comment was, you think Cairo got upset? You should see the letter I got from my Aunt Rose. <laughs> see, none of this I knew when I was, what, seven or eight. Right, of course. But it kind of adds to that. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It adds a lot. Good for them. Yeah. So let's talk about Barbara Streisand. One of the things you mentioned when we first started talking about this was that so rarely does a role and a star persona just overlap so completely. Just seems like the star was born for this role. Exactly. Yeah. And there's so many layers to this, so I almost don't know where to start. I mean, you're dealing with a real person. Correct. And so 
a semi-real story, right? I mean, it's not it's not straight, but it's but it's the point of the story and the movie and the musical, all of it, is that this woman was so talented she could not be ignored, mm-hmm. despite her physical attributes, which were not the standard mm-hmm. for the time, um, despite all of it. And she just muscled her way. And so you have to have somebody who is unignorable, right, mm-hmm. in that way. Someone who just, you catch her once and it blows the doors off. Then you have to have somebody with extreme comic timing, right? And the ability to go from stage to screen and maintain that mm-hmm. type of uh, acting chops and, and comic timing. So the triple threat, the actor, the comedian, the singer, mm-hmm. all of which are at an enormously high level. Right. And as I said before, someone who is so aware of the camera, even though she's come from stage to do this, mm-hmm. that she ne- that she never lets it go. She always, she locks eyes with it. She She's able to maintain it. Sure, some of that cin- cinematography, but I'm just astounded that that moment of perfect story showcasing all of this woman's attributes mm-hmm. and, and new talent all came together at right. once. Right. Um, and it's kind of remarkable that this property came around at the time that she, Destroy Sand, was coming off of, I mean, if you read about her early years, I mean, she was right. living on her own in New York City at 16, you know, with her mother saying, come back to Brooklyn, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and literally just, you know, going to auditions and sleeping on French yeah, floors. Exactly. And, but then there's this, you know, wonderful stories of her, like somebody dragging her to a gay nightclub and she starts singing and everybody just falls reverentially quiet and right? erupts and cheers and just slowly, step by step, she becomes unignorable, as you say, and everybody who sees her just realizes they're in the presence of an absolutely unique figure. Exactly. With not with talent to burn. Sure. You know, with this voice from God. And she, you know, always... And, we're, and word builds. I have right. a cousin who knew somebody associated with the show, so they went to New York mm-hmm. and were able to sit in the front row. Nice. You know, back when Streisand still, word's just getting out. Right. And she says to me to this day, she doesn't have a word to describe what happened in that moment. There mm. is no word in her vocabulary that ca- accurately captures what it's like to sit in the front row and watch this person who is this mercurial, you know, presence right. come on stage and just captivate you right. for the entire time. Right. In a way that hasn't been invented yet. That's the thing. I mean, I love those. They're almost superhero, cu- cultural superhero origin stories. When you read about, uh, you know, Chaplin becoming... In 1914, this national figure, and, yeah. and in a way that nobody really had words for yet. Dylan, and you know, 1962 and 61, yeah. as word is building on the folk circuit, and he goes out and writes, you know, "Blowing in the Wind," which is like an immediate classic on the level of Woody Guthrie and everybody. And he, yeah, he's he's 21 years old and looks like a twerp, right. you know. But nevertheless, somebody is doing something that's never been done. Right. It's in later years, Springsteen at the Stone yeah. Pony. Yeah. It's it's that type of thing. It's where you you just you know what what you you can't you can't put the word to what you just saw. You just know it's mm-hmm. enormous, and it's a meeting of talent and moment right. and material, right? right? Whatever that is, and it's rare. It's it's it, despite the length of movie history, mm-hmm. it's rare. I mean, we I'm sure we'll get into it. There's lots of people who uh, you would associate with a role and you'll and you can't think of anybody else, anyone else playing it right but even many times in that case it's not as though someone else couldn't have played it correct they may have it may have fit them perfectly but i can't think of anybody else 
playing this role. And maybe we should divert here to talk about the current Broadway staging of it, which you have seen <laughs> yeah. and I have not, and then which really prompted the conversation it in the first place. It did prompt the conversation. Because it's not Barbara Streisand, obviously, right. uh, playing. And I didn't go there looking for that. I know it's a little bit like a perfect Dylan concert. You leave <laughs> it alone. Yeah. <laughs> you even, don't even go back and see Dylan again because you may not get it. Right. I did not go expecting Beanie Feldstein to be Barbara Streisand. I just wanted someone who could own the role mm -hmm. and bring something new to it, honestly. And I don't, this isn't a trash beanie kind of a thing. But again, the premise of that show is an undeniable talent that is hitting on all cylinders. And Beanie, while a very solid comic actress and owns the comic part of that and a very likable person with acting chops, I've liked many movies she's been in, um, does not have a Streisand quality voice or even a huge, huge voice. And the harder she tries, I think the worse that aspect mm -hmm. of it gets. And it just isn't believable to me that she's that person. Mm -hmm. I think they would have been better off going out and searching for a complete unknown again. I mean, you could argue Adina Menzel. You could even argue Leah Michelle would have had some of the aspects of it. Right. I would have argued the only way this works is to go get someone who has the quality of the unknown right. and it's a surprise factor right. and then doesn't need to be Streisand, just owns it. Right. But this isn't In that. a different way. This isn't that. Yeah. So it's unfortunate, you know, but maybe it just preserves the version I know and love, you know, even etches it, burnishes it a little bit more right. for me. Right. Preserves the myth. Yeah. Um, and exactly. actually, you know, and, and this has not, has not been a restaging that's been, um, a revival that's been received well. No, um, And it, I think people are going to shy away from it, actually. Yeah, you know. it's unfortunate. I'd almost like to see it get to the next iteration to see it recast, hmm. see if it would yeah. zoom up the yeah. charts. I wonder if, because Streisand is in her 70s now, mm -hmm. right? Julia, she turned 80, I think, the day that it opened on oh, Broadway, really? okay. I believe. You know, so in 20 years, she's probably not going to be here. Right. And whether people will feel differently about restaging it. Then. Right. Right. Maybe. 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 Um, I do want to mention one thing, you know, that, you know, we talk about people who make these remarkable cultural entrances. One of them was Catherine Hepburn in 1933's Morning Glory, which I remember when I was uh, writing my book about stardom, coming across this quote from David O. Selznick, uh, who produced the film, saying, I will never forget being in an audience when she came in for her first scene and just sort of opened her arms and lay down on the floor and said, you could hear and you could certainly feel the audience just respond to somebody they'd never seen before. He said, it's, it's the only time I've really felt a star being born. Wow. And she was such a unique star. Correct. Everything about her. And her the irony is her voice. that in 1968 or 1969, when they have the Academy Awards <laughs> and the Best Actress, and the only time I'm sure there have been ties in other categories, but never in an acting category. Right. It was a tie between Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl and Catherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter. Right. That, so, oh, interesting. Yeah. And, so you have and, old Hollywood and new Hollywood. That's crazy. Yeah. And Barbara Streisand had lost the Tony to Carol Channing. I know. In Hello, Dolly. Which she then went on to play Which is another movie. kind of amazing, you know, meeting of star and moment, right. but I would argue not the same. And another movie <laughs> that I haven't seen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, more Thai education yeah, coming yeah, up. Yeah, you know, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Happy to do it. But let's, let's think about some of those people that arrived in roles that not just defined them, but, but cleared a space, a cultural space in a way that had never really been there. And I'm thinking of like right. Audrey Hepburn in Roman Holiday to me is one that like, there'd never been a place for 
Audrey Hepburn in the culture before and then after that. Yeah. There she was. Yeah. It's you interesting. Know. You didn't choose breakfast at Tiffany's. You chose. No, but, no. But you're just, you're talking about arriving. And, yeah, yeah. Arriving. Got it. Um, and, and, you know, and winning a an, uh, Best Actress Award right out of the gate. Sure. Which right. she did. Okay. So, so there's that. For me, I'm sure you have your short list. I do. Travolta in Saturday mm-hmm. Night Fever. Yeah. A, a lot of mine have other aspects that you could, it's not a straight acting job, right? Right. You can't. You can't combine Travolta's dancing skit, you know, that he brought so much to that role that it wasn't just like you could replace him and that person would have all of that. It's just everything, the swagger, the dance, the the acting, the just everything, even his smile is just different. So I would say, I would argue him. I mean, I would argue Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator, Mm -hmm. um, right? That that's like, you know, who else are you going to put in that role? I don't know. It wouldn't be the same. You could do it. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't be the same. Right. Well, then you get into these these wonderful games of of um, casting, especially back in the the glory days of the, of the agent package um, back in the eighties and nineties, where you literally stars were plugged into you know screenplay developments, and then they'd have to do an expensive screenplay rewrite. So I always think of Speed always cracks me up. The movie Speed, yeah, sure, which was talked about as a Jeff Bridges movie, a Schwarzenegger movie, <laughs> right, exactly, Cruise movie. They were all considered for it, and then. Keanu Reeves is picked, right. which seems totally out of left field, but then reinvents his persona. So so there's that whole category of things. Right. You're absolutely right. Tom Hanks in Big is yeah. one for yeah. me. Like that movie we would have come and gone. In fact, I, if I recall, it was like one of us, either a triptych or something of movies just like it yes. at that time, right? Yes. Yeah. But that one was crazy because of him and what he did right. in that role. And there, I mean, there's many others. I, I would, I would argue that and Stallone and Rocky, I mean, he argued to play that part. He mm-hmm. went, you know, he wouldn't sell the movie without right. doing it. And now you can't think of any other person playing it. Right. But sure, Mickey Rourke or somebody could have played it quite well, probably. Yeah. Just wouldn't have been the same. And, but so I still think, though, of like Robin Williams' voice in Aladdin. Mm-hmm. His voice performance in Aladdin could not have been duplicated by right. anyone. Right. Well, they they turned on the microphone and let him improvise. He wrote his own line. Basically. Yeah. Right. So there's that. Yeah. There, there's that as well as everything else. And then, you know, you think of Charlie Chaplin. You think of <laughs> um, James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. You know, you just think of somebody arriving and taking hold of a role and Brand, you'll never think Brando of it the same way. Car. Right. All of those. But I don't know how many of those rise to the level, again, of no one could play it to the to the degree that person did. Ownership is different from that. So the Streisand thing is both ownership and I don't know of another talent who actually could have done it. Right. Correct. A talent that not only had the talent, the vocal skills and the acting skills, but had the looks, the very particular looks that fit this role. Exactly. But also fit this cultural moment in that she is, you know, she didn't get the nose job. Right. She didn't get her eyes on Christ. You know, she she is... All in her glory, and that's what's glorious about her. Exactly. And so another com- friend that we have in common who mm. has been on this very podcast, mm. Meredith Goldstein, yep. she would argue, because we talked about this before I came on, she might argue that a certain uh, young gentleman who walked into the Twilight movies, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Pattinson, was able to take the thing that was on the page, bring it to a, the screen, throw gasoline on that mm-hmm. fire, mm-hmm. and make it something even devotees of that that uh literary series did not know they even you know were craving right mm. they, they they had it all had their own probably private picture right right and then and then boom 
And so that's a whole, that's another, but, but the, it shares, it shares with Funny Girl, this idea that it is existing material in some way, whether it's a person's life mm -hmm. or a literary classic mm -hmm. or something that this person not only has to take the role, but also has to have a certain either physical type right. or steaminess or something, right. right? To, to, to grab hold of what its fans or actually, or anybody who studied Fanny Bryce might right. be looking for. Oh, in 1968, I don't know how many people uh, yeah, were looking for Fanny not. Bryce. Or 1964 when they staged the, the show. And in fact, you know, the producer was Fanny Bryce's son-in-law, Ray Stark. I didn't even know yes. that, yeah. So it was sort of family obligation that he tried, <laughs> he tried to make it as a movie first. Nobody bit. They said, make it as a play. He found Streisand. It becomes a huge hit. Then it goes to the, to the screen. But again, I don't think she was a much-in-demand cultural figure at the time. But Streisand comes in and re rejuvenates her. True. And certainly does yeah. make people understand the story that they right. might have overlooked. But but she was nonetheless a real person who some people had seen in vaudeville and so forth. Correct. And as an actor, I'm assuming you feel some obligation to portraying. And and even the, the people who are putting together the movie are casting against some specific type, right? Physical, if nothing else, right, right. Um, that's in the lyrics and everything else about the nose, right? So um, I think it was there before Streisand, but I'm not sure. Anyway, so I, I think there's degrees of this. There's certainly no shortage of wonderful actors and actresses who have owned a role and, and made us believe that nobody else could have played it. Right. But then there are people who you really have to stop and say, no, I don't think anyone else could have played right. this. I think about um, another one I think about is uh, De Niro in, in Taxi Driver. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I can, cannot yeah. see anybody else, you know, even like, you know, Pacino or any of the, you know, those yeah. sort of actors that were lumped in with them at the time. Yeah. Doing. But then can you see anyone in Dog Day Afternoon or The Godfather yeah. with Pacino? You yes. can. Yeah, I can. I mean, it would be a very different role, but I can, sure. I can see somebody doing that. Interesting. Whereas okay. De Niro has this sort of unarticulated violence about him that really unsettled people yes. in his early roles because you weren't sure how much of that guy was real. Right. You know, how much right. it was acting. Of course it right. was acting. But he convinced you, and sort of in the same way that Brando did back in, you know, 1953. Or Ray Liotta did in Something right. Wild. The menace was real. Mm -hmm. um, and the disturbance in the case of Travis Brick Bickle mm -hmm. was real. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody else at that period could have done it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with yeah. that. That was a marvelous, but everything a marvelous performance. But so much of what De Niro does and did is, uh, you know, amazing. So I don't know. The thing about Streisand is, and, and this is what delighted me the first time I'm watching. I'm sitting there watching it for the first time. She's so sharp. Her timing is so good. She's just so funny. Good. She's even so on the funny. most minor lines. She's walking by a stage sign and it says eight girls eight, and she goes, "I'm I'm one of them. Eight girls eight. <laughs> I don't know that that was in the script. You know, but the way she delivers it could not be more perfect. Right. So, you know, there's all that. And then, and, and we could, I'm sure we could, we could go on and on. There's one movie, I, I think about movies <clears throat> where multiple instances of this occurred. Mm -hmm. Young Frankenstein is one. You got Marty Feldman. Yeah. You got Peter Boyle. Mm -hmm. You got Gene Wilder. Mm -hmm. You got Madeline Kahn. I mean, you got Cloris Leachman. Cloris <laughs> Leachman, Terry Gar. Okay, maybe on the buffer. Oh, come but on. <laughs> roll, roll, all roll in the hay. All of them absolutely mm -hmm. perfect mm -hmm. for the. I mean, to to think that they all assembled. You could argue the same is true of the Big Lebowski. 
right? I would argue the same is true for another Streisand uh, movie, perhaps one of my f- most favorite comedies, What's Up, Doc? Oh, what a great comedy. Uh, and and you're right. Perfectly cast. Is, yes. Kenneth Mars, Austin Pendleton. Understatedly so, yes. actually. Yes. Right? You wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of that. Glad yeah. you brought it up. Because yeah. that, that's, you're absolutely right. That movie is interesting to me because, again, so Streisand becomes a huge star in Funny Girl. What does she do, do from there? How do you go on from that? Right. And she becomes, you know, and I'm saying despite in air quotes, despite her looks. Sure. She becomes a sex symbol. Yeah. Um, and she I mean, I would argue that's her superpower, right, actually. Right. She is, she is super sexy. Right. And never <laughs> Just so not more, more so, so than in What's Up, Doc. Yeah. And that scene where she's like singing on top of the piano. You must remember this. Yes. Holy shit. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Underestimated, I think. A lot, a lot of people don't give her credit for mm-hmm. building a movie career that, you know, they only think of the whatever uh, egotistical they they might argue right. uh, flourishes in certain, you know, movie projects. I wouldn't even argue that. I think she's an enormous talent. But I also just, just kind of go back to how does a person do so many things so well? Right. You know, not just one thing, not just two things, just an enormous amount of things uh, well. They're born with it and they have practice and they have ambition unbounded by... Uh, I think, it go- uh, yeah, it goes back to what you said. They were singularly focused at a very early age, learned right. craft, learn just learn that if the door opened a crack, they were going to bust through mm-hmm. it and not just to get to the spot, but then to completely, right. you know, use it. that as their launch pad. Right. And I do find it interesting. So Streisand, as a kid, she sang, you know, had the biggest voice on the block, uh, but she also wanted to act. She saw a production of The Diary of Anne Frank with Susan Strasberg that just blew her away and it made her want to be a serious dramatic actress. Mm. And at a certain point, she realized she didn't have the looks, maybe. Mm. She has, you know, was banging on doors, uh, but she had the voice. And somebody, I think she had a boyfriend at that time who said, Use the voice. Yeah. Use the voice. Build up the singing thing and then move into acting. Yeah. And that's what she did. So so there again, ta- again, we, we t- keep circling back to this perfect material for the artist. The whole story's this. <laughs> yes. A funny girl. Right. The Fanny Brace is so, I don't, again, know how close it comes to, to the real thing, but it's so clearly that. Mm-hmm. It is clearly like, and it's the chip that Streisand carries today. Correct. Even is that she's known for one thing that she does amazingly, which mm-hmm. is the voice, and the other stuff goes sort of with it. And she thinks, and rightly so, she, no, they're all on equal par, and maybe some days I just want to act and not sing at all. Right. <laughs> and you could argue, and many people have, that she has not gotten nearly the credit she deserves as a director. Right. And I certainly not the chances she could have had as a director if she had been not a woman. Yeah, I, all of that. And, you know, I don't want to, this isn't like the Barbara Streisand love, you know, mash fest here, but, (laughs) but I mean, in this case it is because what I responded to as a child, I know, sure, there was comedy in that and there was music and I was responding that, but I mean, let's not forget, like I, you know, the Beatles were around and like, you know, there was a lot of good music. I responded to a woman walking onto my television set Mm -hmm. and blowing my, my head off, you know, my shoulders, right? Just owning everything, owning her looks, owning her outrageousness, owning her bravado, owning all of it. Mm -hmm. And when you're a little girl, that's very powerful. Let's not forget in those days, there was a lot of June Cleavers and 
It was really powerful. And, it, you know, it actually makes me wonder, huh, maybe there's a reason that little boys didn't get taken to see that movie. <laughs> maybe. The subvert, ooh, the subversive You know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the dads were a little freaked <laughs> yeah. out by that. And, yeah. You know, um, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah. Did you see her televised concert performances, her specials? I I saw her specials. I've also, also seen her live multiple mm. times in recent years when whenever she would trot that out. And, and I will say, also... Um, I remember having a conversation with Wesley Morris about this. Even if you don't really particularly like or buy into the Streisand thing, you mm -hmm. might think she's too much or whatever. Yeah. If you went ever went to one of those stage, I, I don't even know what to call them. They were <laughs> they were not concerts. Right. They were L religious events. Highly yeah. produced. Yes, maybe maybe gospel. <laughs> they were amazing. Every production value down to a T. But but not in a way that was like just you know stiff and whatever. Just. Again, someone owning it, someone mm -hmm. at the highest level of her profession, mm -hmm. massively entertaining, also massively expensive, yeah. <laughs> but massively entertaining. Right. I don't recall seeing those specials when they aired, and, and they actually predate uh, Funny Girl. Uh, it was sort of her last arena to be conquered film. Yeah. Because she'd already won a Grammy. She'd Tony. already won a Tony. No, she didn't win a Tony. She won a Tony later, right, I think. Right, right. But she'd already conquered Broadway. She'd conquered the nightclubs. She, and then she had these four televised specials. I think I saw them later, if I'm right. not mistaken. Uh, and they're, they're available, I think, uh, you know, on, de on demand or on DVD. But I get the sense of, and again, this is true of Brando, of this explosion starting in New York and gradually expanding out yeah, to exactly, the rest of the right? country. And Radiating. it takes a couple of years. Yeah, you know? no, that's, I think um, that's true. And then conquers the, the world. And it's especially in the case of Streisand, and this is one reason, like the reason my in-laws who are from Long Island, uh, you know, Jews from Long Island. Yeah. She's one of them. Yeah. She's one of theirs made good. There was <laughs> right. such nachos. Right. There was such pride. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and I think that's an integral part of the fondness that the culture has for her. I think so, too. A, a woman who would normally have been relegated to the best friend role, probably. Right. right? And do you think Judy Garland in Wizard of Oz is a similar moment or meeting of talent and material? Do you think it's uh, on par? I do, but in retrospect, because hmm. that movie was not received the way, certainly the way um, right. Funny Girl was. It was it was a qualified success. I mean, and the reviews were quite mixed. And I think Garland was struggling in her career at that particular point at yeah. MGM, but. I think for a later generation, you're in my generation, who, again, saw that movie every year yep. uh, on TV at Thanksgiving, you know, while the grown-ups are sleeping off the turkey. And, you know, we're just watching, you know, <laughs> yes. we've got the color TV sets. And for the first time, True. we can see awesome True. color. We can, yeah, have the nightmares of the monkeys and the poppies. And, and the, the, yeah, the, the flying <laughs> monkeys. Our generation associates her so strongly with that role. Yes. And it carries, that role carries a lot of meaning for us because we saw it when we were very young. Um, you know, to me, you know, that's a, 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 I have this thing called the footy pajama theory, where the movies you saw when you were still in footy pajamas, it's trademarked, by the way. <laughs> good. You will never have any critical distance on. You will never be able to say that's, uh, that's a, good a good movie theory. or a bad movie. So for guys who are in their late 30s, The Lion King is, I remember I once wrote a, when The Lion King was re-released in digital or something like that, I wrote a, a measured review saying, you know, I like, um, uh, Beauty and the Beast better, and I, you know, I, it's not the most original. And I got hate mail from guys in their 30s because mm, they saw that movie when they were five, yeah. and it rocked their world. And so how can it not be? Uh, that's a good theory. It, I also think you should never go back to those movies <laughs> because it will destroy everything you thought. Well, we, well, we can great. go back to Wizard of Oz. Yes, we can. 
But I would argue that's actually not a bad movie. That's right. why so many right. of the things that we thought were great when we were young mm-hmm. were, just weren't, <laughs> or we weren't seeing the humor Correct. in them or something. Correct. And that's why you need to hold on to the idea that they're great and yeah. stay in those footy pajamas. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All, yeah. Tr- all true. Yeah. So is Funny Girl a footy pajama movie for you? I don't think so. I think it's just, hmm. first of all, I was much older. Mm-hmm. So, well, not much older. I mean, it came out when I was what? I was only seven, but. But it feels older than a footy pajama movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think, as you were saying, it was your first experience of an empowered adult woman. Yeah, that's what I think it was that was tapping me when I was that young. Mm-hmm. Was particularly was that idea that like something I could grow into yeah. would be this. Not not that I ever thought I could grow into Streisand. That's not what I mean. But more that this is what it looks like when an adult, a young adult woman, because she wasn't that old in that movie. Yeah. I don't even know how old she was. Twenty three, I think. Yeah, this is what it looks like when you just have no fear. No fear at all. Just own it. And so that's uh, that's the powerful statement to a Catholic suburban white kid. Right? I think that that thing that what you're talking about got hijacked by pop music in later years. You know, so I think there are people younger than you and I who look on Madonna as fulfilling mm. that same role mm. and maybe Adele as fulfilling that same, sure. you know, that and they're not in movies, although Madonna has certainly tried. Oh, and certainly Beyonce, I think, sure. for, you know, my daughter's generation yeah. is absolutely the queen and the queen of their of their culture. Yep. And and you're right. That is a similar response to that, yeah. I think. Uh, and and matters a lot. And, and I would go back to kind of James Dean or something mm-hmm. like that, where it's just a very visceral response to someone. Right. right. I mean, I would even say it's funny. Some of these things, I, when you're a kid, it all gets it all gets a little blurry or um, later on. Patty McCormick scared the bejesus out of me. Oh, in bad, the bad seat. Seat. Yeah, yeah, right. Just rocked my world. And I don't know. You know, was that just the the particular age I was in mm-hmm. the circumstance when I first saw that? Flip side, I think Sidney Poitier in everything he did mm-hmm. was a kind of ownership of roles that I'd never seen from one act. Like I would, I would argue that his whole career was that. Mm-hmm. Right. Not any one role, but every single right. <laughs> was like. Who would ever play it that way? Mm-hmm. He was like Frank Sinatra with a piece of music, right? The phrasing mm-hmm. of Frank Sinatra was not being duplicated mm-hmm. and has never been dupl- duplicated. And I, I would argue that Poitier never, you cannot duplicate him. He just, the way he approached a role, his cadence, everything, mm-hmm. his 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 manner, his quiet mm-hmm. manner. And interestingly, somebody who had to teach himself not it taught himself uh, out of, out of his very strong Caribbean accent. Really? Yeah. When yeah. he started, he talks about you know when after he died, I was reading a lot of uh, you know obituaries and other things uh, about him. And he said when he first started acting, you know people couldn't understand him, and he oh, had wow. to so, go to vocal coaches and really just. So is that, that why his speech is measured? And I think that's an aspect of it. Oh, huh, interesting. It, it really became interesting. an instrument that he was very much in control of. Yeah. And, and again, as you say, not stiffly, but just one that he was no, aware a, of. A craft. Yeah, he decided right. something. Correct. Much in the way that Streisand has decided. These are these are choices that a talent mm-hmm. is making. And maybe, you know, in Poitier's case, as you just said, maybe just practical. There's an aspect to it that's right. practical. But so what? Whatever it is, they're not sacrificing their art for it. No. They're making sure, you know, to incorporate that right. and and again, to heighten the delivery, whatever that is. Right. And I think the common denominator here might just be self-assurance, might just be, you know, an approach to a role and a level of talent that just makes it more them even than the material, even when the material's really, it's really good. It's a mastery of the tools 
And whether the tools are consciously taught, as in the case of Portier getting rid of his accent, yeah. or just innate, uh, you know, with the bravura of a talented youth, as in the case of Streisand, it's a mastery of the tools. Right. And we don't see that, especially out of the gate, that often. And it's really yeah, going to happen. Yeah, that's the other thing. Out of the yeah. gate, right? In someone fairly young or, <laughs> you know, from another culture, you know, I mean, really, very, very interesting when that happens, it's funny because I on, on my my list of ma- of many 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 people who kind of walked waltzed in and blew the the doors off. Mm-hmm. Maria Falconetti in mm-hmm. the Passion of, of Joan of Arc. Arc. Yeah. It's just her face, just every way that she went into that role, and that's like I don't know how it was received when it was first out. I only know that now it's one of those icons, one of one of those things where if you see it in any context. Pers- especially with like a symphony under it right, or something. Right. You just can never forget it. Right. Um, you can never forget it. And so again, she's a perfect marriage of talent and 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 physicality and role. Right. You know, and in that case, I she made other movies, but nobody knows them. No. You know, <laughs> right. so um uh, you know, at least, at least not now. So that is she's I mean, the part and the actress are fused. Right. Exactly. They are fused in a way that that is fair, actually. I mean, maybe those people want to get away from that eventually, but they can't. And again, that's what makes other actresses or actors Mm -hmm. who have gone on to major careers, what makes you like all the more in awe is that they were able to do it again and again or still have a long career without us thinking, oh, she can only do Fanny Bryce. You have more appreciation for talent who, as closely as they are identified with the role, then go on to have this you know, sort of enormous career that, well, that never makes you forget that for Streisand and Funny Girl, Poitiers and any number of things in the heat of the night, you then, you're able to see them in everything else and at the highest level and say, that's another one. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think Pacino falls in that category, Mm -hmm. right? Where you're able to see a multitude of things that you, you almost have trouble picking the one where you would say that's the defining role. So I do think it's an, it's a marriage a lot of times of, of, just an enormous talent yeah. and whatever that person has either chosen to do or has foisted upon them, but, the, <laughs> but is really able to, to um, navigate. Yeah. One last thing. Let's talk a little bit about the songs. Sure. Um, because there are two in this movie that are absolutely associated with her. Yes. One of which I think is a great melody in the stupidest lyrics I've ever heard. Uh, and that's people. Yeah, I know. I knew you. Were, I knew which one that was. <laughs> um, and then the other is uh, don't rain on my parade. Right. I show that clip to students just because a, as it's, it's, it's like the concentrated dark star essence of Streisand. Yeah. But it's also this filmmaking marvel with a helicopter shot as she's leaning out, yeah, of, the, yeah, out of the train. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Einstein. <laughs> True. Um, and that song in particular got a boost from when Glee came around and all sure of a sudden it, did, it became, yeah. went up another iconic level in, in the culture. Yeah. But I don't, you know, I've, I just saw the movie like two weeks ago. I don't remember any of the other songs. You don't? I know. Oh, and I probably need to see it a couple Secondhand more times. Secondhand Rose. Second, well, but that's a Fanny Price song. Sure. Well, I mean, yeah. That's not a Jules Stein song. Sure. That's all true. But, right. You know, I would argue that, uh, okay, so there's, there's silly songs. You're <laughs> a woman, I am man. I mean, there's some, whatever. But, and, you know, Streisand herself argued that it took, in one of her shows, she mentioned that it took her many years to be able to sing My Man. <clears throat> Because the lyrics are terrible. Right, right exactly. <laughs> if yeah. you have even a grain it's, it's, of feminism in you. Right. No, it's the classic <laughs> doormat song. But in the same way that a lot of times, you know, you come back around and you own something mm-hmm. and you find something in that song mm-hmm. that that you can turn on its head. I mean, one of the songs I love, not in Funny Girl, but there's another song called um, 
uh, someone to watch over me. Sure. Right. That you could argue is a really hard song for a lot of women to, you mm-hmm. know, kind of own. But, but, but when you think about the lyrics in a different way, you mm-hmm. can. You can see your way to it. And I think she saw, Streisand saw that. At least she said she did with my man. And what I would argue is a lot of musical, the musical canon, you know, is, or the genre, is full of songs like that. Yeah. You have to find your way in. I mean, it, no matter how progressive that musical may have been for its time, you, you got to find your way in. I think melodically, a lot of Funny Girl is good. Mm-hmm. Lyrically, we could debate, mm-hmm. right? The two that you mentioned are the most memorable simply because she was able to unleash right. the full force of right. her voice, right? And few people could keep pace with her. Mm-hmm. As I said before, Beanie kind of did the worst on those songs, in yeah. my opinion, when yeah. I was watching it, just because it's so hard to push the more, you know, the more nasal you're going to get, the more all that. So I would just argue that the material there is better than your average musical mm-hmm. through and through. Um, and that helps it along. And a lot of it is comical when it when it's at its worst, uh, song wise, song choice wise. Right. Uh, what's the song that they sing when he's sort of going after her in a in a very bad sort of you know me too way, <laughs> not not in a me too way, but in a uh, in the restaurant uh, with the oh, couch, yes. you know, squeamish songs or whatever. If you own them comically, you can get away with it. And I think that musical they do that. Which one is that? Let's kiss. What is that? That's that is. Um, no, maybe that is your woman, I am man. Yeah, I think it, that's it must it. be. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's a bad song. But again, she owns it. Um, it's a bad song. It's a bad scene. It's mm-hmm. a bad situation, especially in 2022 to mm-hmm. like look at it. But it, I, 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 I'm okay with it. Why am I okay with it? Not just because I love the musical and love her, but just, just uh, I think she owns it. Just some last little bits of business. Mae Questel, who plays Mrs. Strakosh, the 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 neighbor, the yes. noisy neighbor. You know who she is? Yes, I do. She's the voice of Betty Boop. I do. Would, I know that. Yeah. And it, you know, mo- moment she opens her mouth of, yeah. of a certain generation, you're going to know that, right. right? Yep. She is great. Yep. Again, talk about supporting cast. Right. And Anne Francis is in this movie. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Because she's hardly in it. It's hard to even remember that she's there. Right. And she, I, I think she was cast as the... And I think the role was invented for the the movie. Oh, was it? I, don't I, even I believe know that. so. I believe I read that, and I think the producers felt, well, we have to have someone conventionally beautiful uh, yeah. in a supporting role, <laughs> you know, with a little. It's beauty, amazing beauty that mark. Anne Francis took that. Well, but... apparently there were a lot more scenes oh. that she was in that got cut out. Oh, and there Ooh. have been rumors, and, and Francis basically implied that Streisand. Had her scenes reduced. So interesting. Yes, and I do oh, not know intrigued. the truth. I would of like that. to see the Anne Francis cut, the director's Anne Francis. Well, cut. She, unfortunately, she did not live to see it. She no. just recently passed away. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's that would not surprise me. Would it surprise you that that, that Streisand had a hand in that? That wouldn't surprise me. I, I, you know, I would like to know the truth of that story. I mean, I love her. Yeah. Uh, but so, when you see them, you know, this character's introduced like, oh, this is going to be a fairly major character, like the friend. Right. She's the best right, friend. Right, right, right. And then she never really does well, anything. Well, you know, I mean, that's even, you have to have even more balls. Can I say that on this yes, podcast? Yes, of course you, you have can. to have even more balls you can to say do whatever that. You, want. you take the, the one of the only people that people recognize, the names that, one of the few names that people recognize, right. and you're relegated to most of it to the cutting room floor. Right, right. I mean, Again, you only do that if you have a major talent on your hands right. who is great and everything else, right? So I always think of that line. There's a line in the scene where there's their first real love scene when they're on the street where she's about to sing people and he's showing up and he's got the ruffled shirt. Yeah. And she's saying, you know, oh, you got hundreds of girls, hundreds of girls out there. He, he, he says, yeah, hundreds. 
She says, all gorgeous. She says, all gorgeous. And she says, well, tonight should be a nice change for you. <laughs> Hundreds of girls, huh? Oh, thousands. All gorgeous. All gorgeous. Well, tonight should be a nice change for you. So right there, right? There's a, a line in the movie that is not in the new musical mm. where she says to Ziegfeld, she explains that it's okay for her to have the pillow under and for them to laugh at that right. because it's on her terms. Yes. It's not them laughing at her. She's engineering the laugh, right. orchestrating the laugh, you know, choreographing the laugh. Right. And that's the whole essence of, again, yeah. Fanny Bryce. And you get in there, in a nutshell, how not just sort of a chorus girl she is, right? right? How much she will own her career right. and how it will go from here. I can't believe they didn't put it. That's in. not enough. And I, 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 I don't that think it might not have been in the original stage musical, mm -hmm. and, and the new ones hues much closer to that. Right. Um, but I, unless I missed it, and I don't think I did. I didn't hear it. Um, I don't. I think that that line is not oh, in there. Lost. Something okay. a little like it is in there, but not not yeah. that one. And and that's a well, big another line. reason I probably won't be seeing it. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, but I will be watching Funny Girl again at some point. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been Ty Burr of Ty Burr's Watchlist and Janice Page of the Washington Post going long yeah. on Funny Girl. Thanks so much, Hopefully Ty. Hopefully it was a it was nice so change much for you. Yep. Yeah, it was so much fun. I'm reliving now. I have to go back to my seven-year-old self <laughs> Okay. for the rest of the day. Report what you find. Okay. All right. Take care. Thanks. That's all for today. This has been Ty Burr's Watchcast, an audio companion to the Substack movie newsletter, Ty Burr's Watchlist. If you'd like more pop culture commentary and a guide to good movies in theaters and on demand, please feel free to check out my newsletter at tyberswatchlist.substack.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hold up. 